Coming up on Tech News Today, Microsoft is off the leash. That's Microsoft madness, and they're beating the crap out of earnings expectations. Also, Apple leapfrogs in front of Android and how you can shut down any Facebook group you want. All that and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Thursday, April 28th, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies. Stream to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Sarah Lane. I'm Maya Zaktar. And joining us from across the Atlantic, he decided to turn down the invitation to go to the royal wedding so that he could stay at home and be with us, Mr. Patrick Beja. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're good. Patrick, how did you decide to choose us over Wills and Kate? Wow. Um, well, I looked at the number of times that that joke was made over the past two days, and I decided that I, if I got a penny for every time the joke was made, I would be rich. And somehow that led to me refusing the invitation that I actually got. Wow. So, I don't know. You, you know. Well, yeah. we, we're certainly happy uh, to have you. I guess yeah, you can just finish more the exciting. show and watch the royal this wedding. This is way more exciting than a wedding. Seriously. Also, the, the royal wedding is tomorrow, so I could still, you know, go tonight really late or tomorrow morning. That's true. Did you, ca you could catch a channel train and make it in time? Yeah, I probably could because we have that wonderful train technology back here. Or, or just yeah. swim. I mean, make it worthwhile, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I really earned my royal wedding I invitation. To I deserve to be here. To let me I in lived. Now. <laughs> it's French law. All right. Uh, and, you know, they don't claim it anymore, but the, the kings and queens of England used to claim that they were kings and queens of France, too. So maybe you could pull that one out. Uh, anyway, uh, we should probably talk about tech. Patrick, if you don't realize, if you haven't seen him on the show before, hosts a uh, French technology show, among many other things that he does. Um, and we've got Microsoft earnings fresh off the earnings call beat the crap out of expectations in the third quarter. Uh, $16.43 billion, up 13% from this time last year. Uh, income of $5.23 billion, that's 61 cents a share, up 36% from last year. Uh, they were carried mostly by the office sales, sales of Microsoft Office, uh, and 60% growth in the entertainment and devices division. That's the, the part that makes the Xbox and the Kinect. And they said sales of, of the Kinect are, are through the roof. That balanced out some slowing PC sales, although they did pretty well with uh, Windows 7, 350 million Windows 7 licenses so far. So not a big surprise there, but Windows 7 is selling uh, quite well. So investors in after-hours trading looked at those earnings and said, great, sell, and Microsoft stock is down 2%. Yeah, they announced their, their information after the stock market closed on the East Coast. And if you take a look at some of these other numbers, you can see why the numbers might not be so hot for their stock. Online revenue, $648 million. That sounds great. But their loss was 726 So their online uh, segment is still losing money. So they're not really making up anything with this whole Bing strategy right now. Well, and also the Connect sales being strong and accounting for a big growth doesn't surprise me. But I 
I don't know. I mean, I see that plateauing and then possibly dropping off because you can't just have Connect selling at the same rate that they did at the, uh, you know last summer when it was a big hot item. Right, they haven't revved for a while. They will, but. That was the latest rev to their Xbox was to connect all the motion uh, controllers everywhere. Yeah, what are the chances of this happening again and again? I mean, they have to, like, think of something else because the PC sales were down, so Windows revenue was down. Uh, with their online strategy, I mean, it was, like I am saying, the revenue was $648 million, which is up 14% from last year, so at least they're doing a little bit better. But the losses, I don't know if they can catch up with Google. Really? Well, you guys, are, be, you guys are being down on this? Well, yeah, I mean, you got the analysts, right? The analysts are going to say they wanted them to earn $16.19 and they only earned $16.43, so they beat expectations. I don't know. It seems like Microsoft stock has always been quite stagnant, actually. Uh, I mean, they always have dividends. They're pretty, what's the word? They're, like, they don't really, they're not like a volatile stock. You never see stock, like, fly through the roof on this thing, and Microsoft's been good at keeping their stock price at a, a very reasonable level. They split their stock all the time. They don't reach that Google level of $523 or whatever it is right now. Well, investors are excited about this, though. I mean, that's why they're selling. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not thinking it, they're thinking it's not going to grow more because, you know, investors are, from what I understand, looking for growth all the time, which is leading to some of the erratic behavior we're, we're talking about. But... Um, in, in this specific instance, I mean, the Kinect thing could be developed in other areas. I, I've been hearing that Microsoft might use the Kinect technology for other things and for the PC um, among, you know, different uh, things they're exploring. But the big uh, point that I think we're missing here is, someone noted it in the document, the tablet and smartphone, which are the areas where the b most growth is expected to come in the, in the next few years. And if you want a, a, an opening and growing market, this is what, what you're going to be looking um, for a strong plan seem to be that player. So that might be cause for valid concern. I, I, I think y'all are crazy. Microsoft <laughs> is selling Windows 7 strong. They're kicking ass in device sales with the Xbox. Microsoft Office is strong. Windows Phone 7 is, is still getting off the ground, and we could talk about that separately, but that shouldn't be the big focus here. And being dazzled by the, the glowing lights of tablets, nobody is taking anything from the iPad right now, and it's ridiculous to think Microsoft should even try. They just lose their shirt until they get a strategy together. This, to me, is extremely positive for Microsoft. They had a great quarter. They should be rewarded for being stable and actually doing some really good stuff here. So you're but trying wait to a second, Tom. If you're, if you're, you have $100 and you want to turn that $100 into $120, do you think you would invest in a, in a company that has a stable stock value and that will keep your $100 for a long time or maybe grow into $102? Or a company like, you know, among many others, Apple, which is growing like crazy? Which one you know, would you that, rather... that's, that's, the, that's the problem. You should invest in the stable one that you know is going to stick around and be, and be solid, not the one that looks great like a housing market or a dot-com bubble, but <laughs> might burst and leave you broke. Well, it depends what your goal is and how much risk you're willing to take. And these people, these analysts, apparently are, are talking about the ways to make money, now, not to conserve your money, because... If you want to conserve your money, you should probably buy bonds or something like that. Yeah, this now it's turning into an investment show. Let's let's yeah. move, move on to the NPD numbers uh, for smartphones that came out today. Good news for Apple's iOS. Uh, Apple making the phones and manufacturing are now the number three 
phone maker in the United States with 14% of the market. They passed HTC and Motorola. Uh, they attribute the rise, NPD attributes the rise to the Verizon iPhone. Samsung is number one, 23% of the phones sold in the United States made by Samsung. LG number two at 18%. Uh, for mobile operating system, Android's still dominant at 50% of the marketplace, although it's down a little bit from 53% in last year's fourth quarter. Uh, Apple's iOS rose to 28%. It was 19%. And again, NPD attributing that to the infusion of a bunch of Verizon iPhones in the marketplace. BlackBerry OS had the only real bad news here, uh, fell from 19% of the market to 14%. Uh, but smartphones overall... Hot category, first-time smartphones have accounted for more than half of all the phones sold in the U.S. for the first time. 54% of phones sold were smartphones. You know, when we go over these number stories, I'm always the most interested in the way the RIM numbers always fall. We always talk about Apple's number three. They've leapfrogged over, you know, their HTC and, and, and Motorola and, and Samsung, how well they're doing, and RIM is down. Yeah, they don't really. They they also have uh, they released some numbers. So they're saying that they want to have expectations kind of lowered. Apparently, their BlackBerry demand not so hot. Uh, they're going to have their own earnings report, and apparently, it's going to be a disaster. Well, I know that when the um, when the Verizon iPhone was released, um, a lot of the numbers of folks who were buying them were coming from RIM. So they, I mean, took a lot of the RIM numbers directly. So um, I can see where those numbers uh, came from. And they lowered. Well, the they lowered its profit expectations for the up upcoming quarter by about 10% on the, in the afternoon because they think the BlackBerry is not going to sell very well. So, I mean, they've been struggling as well. Uh, the other thing about Android losing marketplace, I mean, it's interesting because people went to Verizon and they wanted the Verizon network and there was no iPhone there. And that got a lot of people interested in Android in the first place. That's why Android started getting a nice foothold in the market. And once that iPhone hit, it, it actually took away some of that Android market from, uh, from consumers. I think it's also really interesting that this is smartphones finally accounting for just over half of all phones sold in the U.S. for the first time. I mean, it, it's, it's, for people who have had smartphones for a while, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to forget that there is a lot of people who don't. I mean, just, just to get to the halfway mark in the first time is, is um, not even keeping up with a lot of other countries who have had smartphone growth um, that has skyrocketed past ours. So... Good on the U.S., I guess. We're getting smarter every day. <laughs> yeah, I wish that were, I wish were, that were the if conclusion only. you could totally draw from this. Uh, the, other interesting thing, the other interesting thing, part of this is Pegatron, uh, a, I think it's a Taiwanese company, which makes the CDMA iPhone for Veri the Verizon iPhone, reported losses and has cut estimates of shipping CDMA phones. They thought they were going to ship 10 million iPhones this year. They've cut that in half to 5 million. It looks like the orders for the CDMI iPhones are drying up. So these numbers we see with the big jump for the iPhone may kind of click back into place next quarter, especially if we don't see a new iPhone until fall. I, I, I mean, uh, Patrick, do you, do you think that that is a fair assessment of, of the way things are looking? Well, that's certainly the way things, um, these numbers make the, the situation look. But the, specifically, the iOS numbers look very suspect to me. I mean, jumping in one quarter from 19% of the market to 28% seems like a, an enormous jump that I don't understand how they could have achieved. Okay, they had the CDMA phone, which apparently didn't sell as well as they expected, and the iPad 2, which sells, you know, like French hotcakes. But 28% <laughs> from 19%? 
it seems like a staggering number that I... I and we I'm should be clear, the close, iPad is not really part of these numbers. These are just smartphone oh, okay. numbers. Oh, so it's iOS only for smartphones. Yes, correct. So that's even more not understandable. It's, it, I, I really don't get how they could get from 19% to 28% with the only new phone being released being the, you know, CDMA iPhone. Well, a lot uh, of people I, were interested in that phone, though. You know, again, as you said... 10% worth? I, I mean, it, it sold pretty well, uh, especially online orders. I mean, people had pre-ordered that, but Tom and I covered it live. I went to the store. <laughs> there weren't any lines that day, on opening day in the U.S. anyway, but... I mean, yeah, it sold really well. I do agree with you, Tom, though, that we're definitely going to see a dip before the iPhone 5 comes out because, honestly, who's going to buy a CDMA iPhone 4 when they can just wait a couple of months to get a CDMA GSM iPhone 5? Yeah, that makes I'll sense. I'll tell you who. People who want a white one. Oh, yeah, those people. <laughs> Remember when I said nobody will line up? Yeah. Well, it turns out they lined up, at least in Manhattan and Beijing. Really? Were those, were, those were the only two cities, huh? Wow, those are the only two cities we saw stories for. I'm sure there were more right. in other Smaller. places. Yeah. I really did. I really didn't expect there to be lines for the white iPhone, and there absolutely were. I, I'm, I take it all back. There's some crazy I'm, quotes by the people in line. They're saying like, "I want to be unique by having," and the line's like 45 <laughs> people long. Uh, and the other thing is, I noticed this. There Isn't are lines. Isn't that an onion story? No, it's actually <laughs> on CNN Money. So it's okay. uh, it seems to be a real story, and they they counted the people. They're saying it's a line of. Totally well, I mean, 45 people. I understand that reasoning. I mean, just because I happen to have a white iPad. Mm -hmm. It's like, I know that I'm one of many people who have a white iPad, but more people have the black. So it's a dif differentiator. People like to do, they just like to have the new thing. I think it's a, a silly buy at this point. I also think but lines were more likely now in April in Manhattan than February when it was freaking freezing out when you went to the Verizon stores. I remember walking around in Manhattan in February looking around, and there's no lines during, at the Verizon stores for iPhones because it was like 10 degrees out. Mm -hmm. Nobody would stand out that, for that long. In April, yeah, maybe. I can go wait for an iPhone. Why not? It's white. You want to be unique? Buy some Microsoft stock. <laughs> Stable. <laughs> You'll be happy. You, you, you want to buy something that's undervalued? There you go. This is not financial information or recommendation. Uh, PlayStation, we got new information from the PlayStation Network outage today uh, from our dear friend. Uh, we've all gotten to know him quite well now, Patrick Siebold at the uh, Sony PlayStation blog. Uh, he writes, the entire credit card table in the PlayStation Network was encrypted, and we have no evidence that credit card data was taken. However, the personal data table, which is a separate data set, was not encrypted. So bad on you, Sony, for storing our passwords in plain text. My God. Uh, but at least uh, it sounds like the credit card uh, data was well protected, and it sounds like they don't think it was touched. Uh, spokesmen for Wells Fargo, American Express, and MasterCard all said they were monitoring cardholder accounts and had not seen unauthorized activity relating to Sony. Uh, but we got an email from from one person, Satchmo Jones, who said uh, that someone racked up $1,600 in fraudulent charges, uh, $250 of that at a 7-Eleven wow. uh, this weekend. What a slurpy party. Yeah, I know. It's the same credit card that he had on the PlayStation Network. We talked yesterday about the Ars Technica story. There's lots of anecdotal evidence out there of people who say, yeah, I have credit card fraud. Is this just pattern recognition where suddenly we just notice all the credit card fraud because there's the PlayStation Network issue going on and they're not related? Uh, or, or are we going to find out that they're going to reverse this story in a couple of days and say, oh, turns out 
credit card data was taken. Yeah, it sure sounds overly coincidental that so many folks, I mean, we, we talked about the guy on the show yesterday who had a credit card that he never even took out of his drawer but happened to be connected to his PSN account and, 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 and there were fraudulent charges on that account. Um, I, 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 it almost seems like the MasterCard, the American Express folks um, ha have, have agreed to just keep quiet until maybe they know for a fact that they can, they can draw some sort of a, a direct correlation um, on Sony's behalf. And, and but, right now they're saying, no, we don't think anything bad happened. We don't have any evidence of that. Because other people, I mean, it sounds pretty bad. It, it sounds really, really bad. But if it's, you know, 5, 10, 20 people out of 77 million accounts, mm -hmm. and Sony is assuring us at this point that the credit card information was encrypted, it, it really feels like this is coincidental. When you start seeing, I guess the point is, if they actually get all that information and start using it, the hackers will know about it. And it won't be just a couple of people wondering if it is that. I, I tend you know? to agree with you, Patrick. I think, I think a lot of folks have some really odd coincidences, but we would see it probably in larger numbers, or we wouldn't see it at all. This, this is probably background radiation. In fact, Stewie in the chat room says, get Twit listeners to keep reporting their credit card fraud for the next year, and I bet the pattern doesn't change. Mm. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's, that's the case right now, though I wouldn't be surprised if, if the story changed. The other interesting thing about this is uh, Siebold wrote that Sony is moving its network infrastructure and data center to a new, more secure location, they, he also referenced that even though the personal data table was not encrypted, there were physical barriers as well as other uh, online barriers to the non-encrypted data. And Ars Technica brings up the point, was this an inside job? They're talking about moving servers. They're talking about physical barriers to data. Did somebody get inside of Sony and get the data that way? If you look at the Q&A on, on the blog, on the PlayStation blog, it's talking about moving the servers. That seems strange to me when I read it, too. I was like, that, why would that make a difference at all? But if it's an inside job, I wonder if that does any damage control for Sony because I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what could Sony possibly do to earn back the trust of all these people that they've let down. And if they say, oh, we found the one guy, we have a bad egg in the... In, in, at this one area with, with our servers, maybe they could spin this to something good because I don't think if they gave away free service or free movies or anything, they're going to repair the whole breach of trust. Well, uh, okay, could. so at this point, they've got millions of users, uh, a lot of upset folks, um, people with compromised information. So where do they go from here? I mean, they, they want service to be back up next week. Um, they've got to make sure everyone's on the same page. And, I mean, Tom, you're a PlayStation uh, a user. I mean, have they contacted you? Have they let you know uh, without us just reporting on the show? Obviously, you already know what's going on. But have, yeah. they, have they let you know as a customer what's up? Yeah, I got my email at 345 this morning, uh, more than a week after the, the data was compromised. So if I hadn't been paying attention, I wouldn't have found out till today. Wow. Um, and, and if there were dangers of credit card fraud, it might have started happening already. Um, yeah, and, and, and Sony's going to be in trouble uh, with a lot of different... They're going to have a lot of explaining to do even after they get the PlayStation Network back up and running. Like you said, the target date's May 3rd. Uh, attorney generals in the U.S. are starting to, to muster themselves together in a great force. 
officials in Ireland are now talking about uh, questioning Sony. We, we mentioned the UK yesterday in the class action lawsuit. So this story's not going away anytime soon. Can I just ask a question? Why the heck was the personal data not encrypted? I mean, is yeah, that I some sort of a like crazy expensive solution that they just didn't want to spring for? That seems so obvious. There, you know, there must be a guy in the in the IT department somewhere pulling his hair out at the moment, or you know, saying, crying in a corner, <laughs> saying, "But I've been talking about this for months, for years. I've been trying to get them to encrypt the data and the and the passwords, obviously, and they didn't listen to me, and now that's happened." And I'm sure that was something that someone was talking about for years. Uh, that's definitely what the one thing that's going to remain as their glaring omission and, and definitely a big fault was to not encrypt the data and the uh, passwords specifically. Maybe it's the disgruntled network engineer who kept trying to get him to encrypt it. And they're like, nah, it's not worth the trouble. It's not worth the cost. Nobody will ever hack in. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. Go it's like office space right come now. to life. I want my red stapler. <laughs> I want my SAS encryption. All right, let's take a, uh, a quick break. We got some interesting uh, ways to take down Facebook groups coming up. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about Netflix. If you haven't heard about it already, you, you probably have, but you, you probably know that you can get DVDs by mail, no late fees, all that stuff. It's great. But Netflix also offers streaming videos. You've probably heard about that too. But uh, there's even some articles up on Torrent Freak today about how Netflix streaming is actually reducing the number of torrents that are being downloaded in the United States. Uh, Netflix delivers movies directly to your home, saves you time, money, and hassle. You can instantly watch TV episodes and movies, not only on your PC, not only on your tablet, and, and even on your phone, but you can watch them on your television. You got, you've got a, a Sony PS3. Uh, if you've got a, a Xbox 360 or, or a Nintendo Wii, you can get Netflix and watch it right there on your television. And, and I love digging into the back catalog of stuff they have. Reed Hastings was saying on their earnings call, he's like, hey, you know what? We're, we're, we're sort of that reruns area. We're not making a big deal about that. But, you know, you can find this vast collection of stuff. I like watching the old Avengers episodes uh, that used to be on the air in the 60s with Patrick McNee and Diana Rigg. Great British television. If you want, to, if you're in the British mood because of the wedding going on, uh, and you want to watch some really good British stuff, check out the Avengers. They've got uh, a couple of really good seasons available on Netflix streaming. Anybody else watching some good Netflix stuff right now? Let's I'm not because see. I'm in France, but I wish I could. Believe me. What What did I just watch? Um, oh gosh, I can't remember. Um, Barney's version. And what is that? Is that like a it's, children's thing? No, no, dinosaur? no, no, not that, Barney. Um, it's uh, Paul Giamatti. It was a weird movie. Um, but yeah, Netflix streaming. The nice thing about Netflix streaming, um, I don't actually use the DVDs, but um, is that they're adding new titles all the time. It started out kind of small, and now the collection is actually, um, I mean, each month there, there are a variety of titles that get added, and they're not just new releases. I mean, there are a lot of old classics and stuff like that. So if you haven't just perused all of your offerings lately, or if you're wondering if uh, Instant is the right thing for you, it's definitely worth looking at all the movies you can watch. TV shows, too. Yeah, there's a, there's a great list of stuff uh, to watch there. So check them out. Netflix.com slash twit is the way to go because you get a free trial membership there, and then we get credit. Uh, so it helps support the show, Tech News Today, and all the other shows on Twit. Uh, be sure to sign up today, and we thank Netflix for their support. 
On to Facebook. Wow, Ars Technica has an issue with Facebook today. It turns out the <laughs> Ars Technica group has been taken down off of Facebook because someone filed a copyright infringement claim. Ars Technica uh, got an email. They tried to contact Facebook to resolve it. Didn't get anything back, so they're posting the article saying, look, this is what's happening. Uh, anybody can go onto Facebook, fill out a form, and it doesn't verify any of the information. So you can put a false email address if, the, if you want to in there and send a copyright infringement notice and Facebook will take down the page. Now, Facebook in its defense says, you know what, we, we're, we, we look for fraudulent information. We, you know, we, we try to prevent that. We're only going to take down pages that we, we feel are legitimate complaints. But if they're not verifying all of the information and somebody's a pretty good, you know, imitator of, of say, a, a Fox employee or a Sony um, Pictures employee, you might be able to, to make a case and, and Facebook's, in this world that we live in, just going to take stuff down. Well, in Ars Technica's case, too, I mean, it gets worse than this. It's like they try, they try to contact Facebook. They're not getting any response. But for the most part, from uh, they're, you know, they're getting a flood of comments from their users, like, this has happened to me, too. What Facebook pretty much tries to do is say, why don't you work it out amongst yourselves? If you didn't infringe on the, the Fox employee spoofer, you guys just work it out, okay, and let us know when things are cool again. So it's like they have to get a retraction from the person who originally complained, which is, I mean, if this is a malicious, you know, if yeah. I'm trying to get something taken off of Ayaz's page because I don't like him, I am not going to shake his hand and retract anything. I'll probably never, you know, I'll never show up again. It's a and real mess. Worst of all, I, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, Ars Technica page was taken down because it contained copyrighted Ars Technica content. So they can't, they don't even have someone to turn to, to to request a retraction. That's completely. It looks definitely looks like a, a, another um, DMCA disaster. Is, is that the case? Is that why they have to do that? Well, they actually have a policy about their whole copyright system on, on Facebook, facebook.com slash legal, which I'm sure everyone reads at their leisure, you know. You can go and actually <laughs> go to the forum and try to take down anything. Uh, I do believe that uh, Ars, Technica, Ars Technica was saying DMCA on this. And normally I would say something like this. Facebook doesn't have to have any due process. They're not the government, right? They don't have to say, here's an email. You should have a warning, whatever. That's, that aside, this is a jerk move by Facebook. How could they not send out a warning ahead of time saying, hey, by the way, there might be somebody who thinks you have our copyrighted material or their copyrighted material. Maybe you can argue this before we take away the content mm -hmm. because they're just taking Facebook things down left and right. YouTube doesn't do that, though. They take away your content and then you have to justify the fact, you know, to file a counterclaim. The, the process is more, you know, is better done because you can file a counterclaim and get it back up easily. But they still take it down at the first sign of complaint, don't they? Yes, they do. And, and actually, it can be quite a hassle to get a video um, reinstated on YouTube once it's been taken down. Although, yes, they do have a pretty clear process for how you would contest something that had been taken down or contest a copyright claim. The problem with Facebook is that there's really not much you can do about it. I mean, Ars Technica is looking for where, who's my contact, who, I, who do I get a hold of. There's some vague email address. They're still, I mean, they're actually updating this particular story. 
they're still waiting for some official word from Facebook about whether they're going to uh, retract this copyright claim or not. Yeah, and, like and they're also taking down the whole page. So it's not like one video has been taken down from you, your YouTube account and it's still working for the other ones. That's the whole page, your whole presence of on Facebook, which is quite important in today's, you know, Yeah, imagine there are certain businesses who do pretty much all of their social media outreach on Facebook pages. It could cripple you. Um, NeoWin and Redmond Pie also have had Facebook pages taken down. And the worst example is Harmer Dar's rewriting technology. He says he was targeted for money. Somebody filed the copyright claim and then said, I'm not going to retract it unless you pay me. What? And the only the only way he was able to uh, to to get out of it was to track down the user, try to find him. Uh, it turns out the person was in Chicago, and 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 scare him into taking away that that system. This is a horrible system. The DMCA creates an environment where companies like Facebook and YouTube are afraid to put in reasonable practices because they don't want to lose their safe harbor and they don't want to threaten these business deals that they're making with the big studios. And so they err on the side of punishing you without any kind of evidence because it's not really going to hurt them. It's, they're going to get hurt by lobbyists and by movie studios more than they're going to get hurt by some blog or publication. And, and so they just tilt everything in, in that direction and say, you know what? We don't even want to be involved. Somebody says there's copyright infringement. We're scared. Yeah. And we're just going to take we it should get them. Maybe we should get them to take down the pages of lobbyists and movie studios. Then maybe they do something about it. I've heard people suggest that before, you know, like we should just start putting in DMCA uh, takedown notices against Congress people, against, you know, uh, other companies. And the thing is, when they start to get them against the people that they have business interest with, against the people that they're involved with, they give them more scrutiny. Uh, because they know that it's less likely somebody's going to come after them with high-powered lawyers, uh, and they'll say, you know what, we think this is fraudulent, and then you actually expose yourself to being sued yourself for fraud. Well, what's unfortunate about this whole thing is, is ours brought up something that clearly is affecting a lot of people, and not everybody has... Um a platform, like a well-read blog, to be like, this is crazy. This is what happened to us, and we're going to update you every hour on the hour, or, you know, as, as the information rolls in. There are a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, that happened to me, and I couldn't get a hold of Facebook, and I just pretty much had to deal with it. On the bright side, Facebook's punishing everybody the same. I guess so. That's the only thing I could possibly see in this. Well, thing. I mean, it's... There you go. It's, it's, this Looking is, on the bright side. Right, yeah. <laughs> I as is just like a bouquet of flowers. Today. <laughs> you really are. All right, a couple more quick stories uh, before we get to news views. Uh, the, the LTE network from Verizon Wireless is back up and running. Uh, no explanation of what actually happened, but they did said their network engineers and vendors quickly identified the issue, whatever it was, and solved it. Uh, but there is one casualty. The Droid Charge, Verizon's second LTE phone, was supposed to come out today. It has now been delayed, and Samsung is giving no details on when it will get a new launch date. And turns out it has to do with this outage. Uh, it's, it's, it's roadkill from the LTE outage on Verizon. I'm pretty curious to know if this is a Verizon problem, as in like their network failed, or was this a problem with LTE, the technology? Because LTE is going to be implemented by AT&T. Right now they're using... HSPA Plus, and they're rolling out LTE later. WiMAX can be turned into LTE with the firmware upgrade, as I understand, and that looks like that's going to be the future. And if this is an LTE problem, is Verizon going to share what it found, what went wrong with other companies, or is this just, you know, it's only four months old, something went a little wonky, they just need to hit some reset buttons? 
Well, yeah, it's weird. Yesterday we were like, with all of the privacy issues in the world today, they would never just be able to say, okay, it's better, and not give an explanation. But they apparently know what the issue was. They solved it. So just tell us what happened. Yeah, and, there, and there was no there was no user data involved. So there's there's no nothing incumbent on them, you right. know, revealing it to anyone. Uh, also, interesting post up on the Electronic Frontier Foundation website, the EFF website, from Peter Eckersley, calling on folks to develop an open wireless movement. Now we we talked earlier on the show, uh, earlier this week, about being implicated for people doing actions on your open Wi-Fi access point, and we recommended, you know, you should probably lock it down just to be safe. Uh, Peter's saying the opposite. He says Wi-Fi networks turn out to make inherently much more efficient use of spectrum than systems of widely spaced cell phone towers, because if you're connecting to a Wi-Fi access point, your signal only has to go so far. So it's not using up the spectrum for someone around the corner connecting to a different Wi-Fi access point. He's like, we should encourage this. There's two problems. One is if you open up your Wi-Fi access point, uh, you, you might have a bandwidth slowdown. Mm -hmm. uh, and another issue is that you might be worried about security. You might be worried about somebody intruding into your network if you don't have secure protection up there. Uh, he says the best solution is to have Wi-Fi routers which make it easy to share a certain amount of bandwidth via an open network, but simultaneously provide an encrypted network that gets priority over the open network. So if you're using it on, on and you're an encrypted user, you don't get slowed down by other users. Uh, and there is currently no Wi-Fi protocol that allows anybody to join a network while using link layer encryption to prevent each network member from eavesdropping on each other. So you could even allow encrypted access to public folks uh, so they can't see what's going on with each other. And of course, obviously, uh, making sure that the laws don't assume that just because an IP address did something that you did it. But this isn't technology that's actually been built yet and that no one's using. The EFF is proposing that people build this technology so that Wi-Fi will work better for everybody, correct? Well, Sarah, it just happens that France is very advanced in the world of technology, unlike some people might think, and we already have exactly that. Do you? Um, yeah, we do. There's one ISP that's very you know, geeky and technology forward uh, that implemented that kind of system. I'm not sure it's exactly the same uh, technical specs, but it's, you know, you can, if you take part, if you are uh, subscri subscribed to that ISP and you take part into that program, you open a little bit of your Wi-Fi network to other people who also open a little bit of their Wi-Fi network. Um, and so the idea is great, but the pro it, it supposedly works fine. And I've tested it a couple of times, but the only problem is, you know, it's a little bit wonky to have to connect, to look for a network uh, that fits these, you know, that description that is into the, that from that same ISP and that kind of thing is doesn't work as seamlessly as it should. But I think if you have a little bit of standardization, it could work. I don't see why we couldn't implement that, um, you know, more widely and effectively make use of that, that technology better. The only problem I see is in France, we have that dreaded three strikes law that assumes, you know, it's a whole different story. But basically, if someone uses your Wi-Fi network to do something bad, you're responsible for it. 
I've also seen some Cisco routers that have this little open network, and you can have your closed network separate. It's a guest network, as they call it. And then there's uh, DDWRT. You can do the same kind of thing. I mean, this is usually something, if, if you really want to go out there, if you're reading EFF.org regularly, I guess, mm -hmm. you might be the type of person to do this. I mean, to try to explain this to the normal person, like, okay, you're going to have one closed network and one that's open. I don't know how, do you, how you even begin to explain that to somebody. Well, well or, our, or to our, convince them that the open, the small part of their network that they are going to share, whatever anybody does on that part of the network isn't going to come back to haunt them. Because people would need to know for a fact that if they leave that part open, then, then the law has been created so that it's sort of the Wild West out there and they're not going to get in trouble if someone downloads kitty porn. That, and the ISPs in the United States are not exactly friendly when it comes to you opening up your, your Wi-Fi. I mean, if you get anything installed lately, they will give you a Wi-Fi router like Comcast or Verizon, and they already have a key on there because they don't want you sharing it. They don't yeah, want you, you to can use put, you can put your own Wi-Fi router on there. You don't have to use their Wi-Fi uh, router, though. That's, and and this, this is not for your average user, I don't think, yet, anyway. This is for the, there's a number of people, though, that do know how to open up their stuff. They're in our audience, and they want to be able to open it up securely. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't think, I think, I, as you're right, this is not for the masses, uh, but this is to enable the folks who do want to do it, uh, and there are plenty of them to do it. Uh, this is one of those Linksys routers you're talking about. Uh, if you're on the audio version, I've got a WRT600N, which has two antennas. So you can do an N and a G router separately, and you can do a guest account on that. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's a lot of good equipment that could take advantage of these kind of protocols. I think it's a great call. I think there are a lot of things to worry about, a lot of things to, to think about. But I'm glad Peter Eckersley put this out here. I, I, and I, ho I hope people start taking it up and thinking about it seriously. One last, uh, one last story before we finish up. Uh, All Things D had an interesting roundup of some earnings calls uh, from two television networks and a cable provider. Discovery Communications revenue up 9%. Profits up 20%. Viacom revenue up 20%. Profits up 47%. And Time Warner Cable revenue up 5%. Profits up 50%. So in all of this worry about, oh, piracy and cord cutting and nobody's going to pay for anything or watch anything anymore, it looks like at least these three companies are doing really well. Uh, Time Warner did lose half a percent of its TV subs, but they say that is not cord cutting. That's people who just can't afford cable service anymore. Uh, and they added 208,000 subs overall for the quarter because of increases in people adding broadband and voice to their cable package. Yeah, I think uh, if you've got subscribers in, in the millions and you lose a few 10,000, I don't what was it? Um, Time Warner? Yeah. 66,000 they lost. That's not losing very many people. Yeah, I mean, that's not like some sort of cord-cutting revolution. Those are just people who for, I don't know, they moved and didn't set up their cable again or they've decided to cut costs a little bit month to month. I think cord-cutters are still a fringe thing. I mean, to, to say, oh, yeah, you get some of your stuff on a Roku box, you get some of it on your Xbox, you get some of it on a PlayStation 3. A lot of people don't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Well, not only do I not want to deal with it because it's complicated, but it's also expensive to buy a bunch of hardware to try to get around cable when you can just pay a monthly fee and get a bunch of channels that you're probably not going to watch. I mean, it's, it's yeah, you might, you might end up winning in the end, but to a lot of people, they just look at this and it, it doesn't seem like it's um, cost effective. It seems yeah, like a the, hassle. The big, the big story there is definitely the you know not losing anyone basically and revenue up and profits up 20 47 and 50 percent that's you know it's trem a tremendous number again so they're they're they can claim whatever they want as tom was saying they're making big money and they should 
spend that money in trying to invest in the future rather than, you know, pocketing it. And that's what I, believe, I suspect they're not going to do. I believe the children are our future, so they shouldn't give it to <laughs> Exactly. Uh, let's move on to the news fuse. iCloud.com is being bandied around as the name for the new Apple Cloud service. It was a domain name uh, and a storage as cloud service owned by Linkoping, a Sweden-based desktop as a service company. Exerion is the name of the company that owns that. Exerion's iCloud service has just been rebranded to be called CloudMe. The company acquired CloudMe.com on April 5th. Uh, according to GigaOM, they know some sources who say Exerion has sold iCloud.com to Apple for about $4.5 million. $4.5 million for a domain. Wow. Wouldn't that be nice? That's like six I really now. want it. What do you want? $4.5 million. Can you imagine? Hey, Ayaz, can I have that domain? $4.5 million for it. You can. Good okay, deal. Never mind. You have to it. squash a lot of bugs to make that money. That's right. Google's paying out 16500 speaking of bugs, to people who helped the company squash bugs in Chrome 11. If you didn't know, Google has a bounty on bugs and pays anywhere from 500 bucks to $3,000 to devs that report bugs. Google pays this kind of cash because they want Chrome to be as unhackable as possible. So if you can find a bug, you might get paid. Pretty good deal. You know how we saw all those purported cases for the iPad 2 before its official release? Well, it turns out they were real. Three Foxconn employees have been charged with violating trade secrets for leaking the iPad 2 design. They were arrested back in December and were form formally charged in March. But the news broke today in the Chinese language SZNews.com report. Microsoft's Noto update to Windows 7 is almost available to everyone around the world. AT&T's phones have been getting the update already with Deutsche Telekom and Optus in Australia. Uh, I'm sorry, while Deutsche Telekom and Optus in Australia are also done testing the update. If you're on Telefonica in Spain or Telstra in Australia, bad news, you still have to wait. Wow, even worse than AT&T. Uh, Sprint, that other major U.S. telecom, is weathering the Verizon AT&T storm by adding 1.1 million subscribers in the first quarter of 2011. These numbers include Sprint brands Virgin Mobile and Boost. Sprint also reported a loss of $439 million. But on the bright side, that loss is around half of the loss they had in the first quarter of 2010. Uh, and Sprint's beat analyst numbers on revenue. In other words, they didn't lose as much as they were expected. Motorola Mobility also had an earnings report today and announced that they too are losing money at a slower rate than last year. Well, Panasonic has Nokia beat when it comes to layoffs. Panasonic is in the midst of restructuring and will be shedding 17,000 workers around the world, which is a 4% reduction in Panasonic's entire staff. It's a lot of folks. Last year, the company also dropped 18,000 employees. So if you're looking for steady work, you might want to just not go to your Panasonic meeting. Yeah, not the place to go. I don't know. Toshiba has created a Write Once SD card. Now, why on earth would anyone want anything like that? The Write Once SD card is actually meant for things like evidence photos and governmental use. That would mean less chances for tampering and more justice. For more justice. Everyone wants more justice. And great lastly, Push Pop Press is... <laughs> did you say we? I said for great justice. Oh, okay. Sorry. So, lastly, <laughs> Push Pop Press is aiming to become a big dog in the interactive book market. But it's got stiff competition since Adobe is already in the space and used by folks like Wired. However, the company was founded by two former Apple employees and has the backing of Al Gore. 
Uh, there's even a less than exciting video narrated by a sedate Al Gore explaining the platform. So, Is there any other kind of Al Gore? <laughs> and a sedate one. It was funny once. I saw him on Letterman a long time ago. But this mm. video, if you want to fall asleep, watch, go find the Push Pop Press video with Al Gore. It's like... All right, let, perfect. let's move on to the calendar. Canonicals announced the official release of Ubuntu 11.04, codenamed Natty Norwal. Narwhal. The major update introduces the new Unity desktop shell, which is designed to improve ease of use and deliver a more modern user experience. Ayaz, what are you laughing at? Nobody's going to use it. No? Mm -hmm. Why? It's desktop Linux. Somebody will. You're just a hater. What do you mean nobody's going to use it? Actually, people are really excited for this. Unity <laughs> is replacing Gnome. Sarah asked me why I was laughing. I gave an answer. I can't uh, believe geez. it. Everyone who uses Linux email IS. IS, give out your email. IS at twit.tv. Well, I Linux users in Maine are really going to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should just go outside, Tom. Android 2.3.4 is heading to Nexus S over the air, bringing video and voice chat to Gtalk. Sprint Google Voice Tight integration is live for everybody now, according to Engadget. Previously, it was limited uh, in limited raw in beta, so moving along there. Department of Justice's long oversight of Microsoft is going to end on May 12th. Microsoft Madness on May 13th. Yeah. That's been 10 years in the making, by the way. Microsoft Madness starts May 13th, everybody. <laughs> Woo! That's awesome. <laughs> Val's VP of Marketing, Doug Lombardi, said in an interview with Fast Company that new downloadable content for Portal 2 will arrive this summer. A formal announcement should come within the next couple of weeks. All right, let's move on to the voicemails. 260-TNT-SHOW is our phone number, and Mike has an idea for a new segment. Hey, this is Mike from Minneapolis calling in regards to yesterday's show and the show of the day before that and the show of the day before that and the show of the day before that on a possible suggestion for a new segment called Which Service is Down Today? Love the show. Bye. <laughs> you know, uh, that is an excellent idea, and it brings us to our first email from Jorge, who says it looks like Yahoo Mail is suffering from some sort of outage. I'm sure you are probably well aware of this, but I thought I'd send you a note anyway. According to DownRightNow, it looked like it's been down for several hours. Uh, DownRightNow.com actually would be the sponsor of that segment if we did it. Uh, what is going on, says Jorge, that is causing so many major outages in such a short span of time? What do we think, folks? Is this just kind of weird random coincidence or is, is there a conspiracy theory that explains this? Aliens, solar flares. Um, uh, French people. I've learned spring break. Yeah. I think these are kids. Those darn <laughs> is, awful kids. Is down right now the same as down for everyone or just me dot com? Same idea, That's right? a competitor. A similar idea, okay. yeah. Mount, monitors the status of web services uh, and, and looks at their reports and official announcements. Got it. They have Yahoo Mail, possible service trouble, last disruption five minutes ago. I have a Yahoo Mail yeah. account. And I've been able to use it all day, but... I, I was having trouble with Flickr um, earlier in the day. Oh, and the chat room, actually, um, Macallan is saying Skynet. I mean, Skynet was supposed to come uh, to, go, to go live a, a few days ago. And all of a sudden, you have things happening all over the Internet. Right. Huh? This is definitely that a Skynet issue. Very good point, Patrick. 
Uh, next Thank email from, from Eva S. She's a uh, Hollywood visual effects artist, and she says, Hey, team, every time you talk about piracy, by the way, she's Angel Mercury in chat as well. Every time you talk about piracy, you get me all fired up, but after yesterday, I just had to write in because Tom said he didn't think it was true. Hollywood was laying people off and that they were actually making more money. Okay. Hollywood isn't laying people off. Actually, the total number of movies being released each year has slowly been rising. However, they're not exactly making more money either. It's a complex problem. Ticket gross has increased, but so has ticket price. Theater attendance has actually dropped since its peak in 2002. Movie budgets have risen. Studios are trying to make more event movies. Fewer people are spending more money to see a select portion of films. So why few films have huge grosses, more end up severely underperforming. This gets more complicated when you break out how the gross pays out. But in actuality, a lot of films don't even break even until they hit DVD. And some never do. And falling sales rentals don't help. So... I guess uh, Eva probably knows a little bit more than we do about the inner workings of Hollywood. But uh, to stay relevant to Tom's comment, she says, we end up in a long conversation about runaway productions, residuals to pay for workers' health and pension, and the state of the post-production end of the industry. That shortage in cash hits a lot of places. When it comes down to this complex problem, it was simplified into a not-so-effective video, which, of course, was the pirate video that got us into the conversation yesterday. Yeah, the video showed if, if you hand this illegal movie if over to somebody... If you take this movie, the this boom person, operator loses her job. Right. So it's apparently more complicated than that video made it. Could you imagine a video about piracy wasn't exactly clear? Yeah, and really. Give the full yeah. picture. Thanks, Eva, though. That's, I mean, it's, it's always good to get uh, uh, insight from somebody who's actually in the trenches of the Hollywood industry. Yeah, no, those are, those are all good points, Eva. Uh, but I still think that the industry is doing fine. Uh, it's making lots of money. Those points about where it pays out and pensions... Uh, I don't think can be attributed directly to piracy. I don't think that you can say because of piracy, people are losing a job. A lot of these issues have to do with the diversification of entertainment, with the rise of the video game industry, with the internet in general, with the spending habits and the deals that the industry made back in the 80s that need to adapt to new realities. But I'm really glad you brought that up because you're right. It is a much more complex problem. And I, I think we can both agree that that video doesn't really do it justice. Just to add a couple of points, um, I, I worked in the movie industry for a few years in France, not in Hollywood, but for maybe five or six years, every year I was hearing the same people, you know, everyone saying, oh, you know, two years ago we had a lot of money to produce movies, but now it's not that, you know, the party is over. Every year for two years, people were complaining about having less money than two years before. So I'm very doubtful of what people say you know about that specifically and our last email is from jenna about instagram geolocation can't you just tap that little map icon on the left so it stops being colorful to remove the tag yesterday yesterday we were showing off instagram might be showing off location data tom what did you find out uh yeah so that's right there's a little green icon there that looks like a location if you tap that it definitely turns it off so that's good give instagram huge points for giving you control over that that i didn't realize was there that's my fault uh i do still have a quibble that they turned it on without telling anyone it just made it the default behavior that it was there instead of having to tap it to turn it on i like opt in more than opt out mm -hmm. uh it doesn't look like they put it in their change notes either so even if i had looked i wouldn't have known about it uh but Thank you for, for clarifying that. That does make it a lot better. Patrick Beja, thank you so much for being on the show uh, and, and help us out, helping us out today. Let folks know where they can find what you do on the Internet. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash notpatrick or if you like French language podcasts of all kinds, shapes, 
and sizes, you can go to nowatch.net. And thanks, everybody, for watching. You can find us on the web at twit.tv slash TNT. You can email us, TNT at twit.tv, or give us an, a phone call. Leave us a voice message, 260-TNT-SHOW. We'll see you tomorrow.